welcome to the eighth episode of the Invisibility Today podcast. I'm your tiny disabled host, Laura Elliott. This month, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Samantha Rank, an actress, designer and disability campaigner who's here today to talk about designing a new line of accessible handbags, life as a disabled actress and the Don't Want Our Cash campaign she's planning on taking to Parliament. Welcome to the show, Sam. Hello. Hi. <laughs> to be here. So excited to have you. It's kind of difficult to know where to start with you because you're an actress, you're a designer, you're a journalist, you're a campaigner. You're kind of just killing it at the moment. I'm a Del Boy. That's what I say. <laughs> I get very bored easily, um, but not in, a, not in a negative way. I'll always finish something through, but I'm always kind of itching to kind of see what else is out there and got the whole mentality of fake it till you make it so I always say yes to every opportunity even if I don't have a clue about it <laughs> and it, it's done me um it's done me well so far which is good yeah absolutely and you've just so I'm going to start with the most recent exciting <laughs> announcement uh yes. which is that you've just collaborated with the fashion line and designed a super beautiful bag that's great for wheelchair users as well yeah um, so what about the bag makes it accessible yeah so I with vegan com- bag company called Mia Tui. They approached me a while back and gave me a free bag because they had a bag that you could clip onto the back of your chair, which I thought was amazing because uh, fashion's always really played a big part in my life. Although I think sometimes you, like my sister, God bless her, she's like absolutely rubbish at fashion, like really, really bad. Like, like uh, she'll come down the stairs and she's this like pretty blonde girl, quite sporty, but then I was like, what on earth are you wearing? And I've always had this kind of innate fashion sense. I can, like, visualise clothes and put them together in my head. Yeah. Like, I always used to do that even before, like, college or something. I'd be like, right, and, you know, I might going to wear that with that, and that will go with that. And it always seems to work quite well. And I think also, you know, everyone goes through um, kind of issues with body body image and not liking who they are. And I most definitely went through that. And, I, you know, I kind of tell this story, but it was a very powerful turning point in my life. I kind of – I was outside Ikea – of all places and um people were just staring at me and people stare at me anyway because you know i'm different and i think a lot of people experience that and i suppose when you are younger then stares they re- you know stick with you and they resonate with you a bit more because you know you're already a bit conscious about who you are and then i just burst out into tears we're in the car park of ikea and um and my sister said do you, do you know do you ever think that maybe people are looking at you because of the way you dress because I don't have your dress sense and you always look amazing and I think ever since then even when people stare at me I have in my head okay they're looking at me because my makeup's on point uh you know I've, I've pieced together my clothes not today <laughs> <laughs> at all. um and you know that really helped me get through a lot so I kind of when Mia Tui sent me their their product and I was like wow this is fantastic because who doesn't love handbags I, I, I went back to him and I said, I've got a few other alterations that I would love to love to kind of tweak, you know, to make it even better and um, more user-friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, would you mind, you know, like, can I have a, basically, I just wanted a bag with my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? I was, like, I was like, I don't care what I get out of it. I just want it to be called the Samantha bag. <laughs> and, you know, so we met up with them. And, I mean, the bag, it, you know, it's, it's a universal bag, so it's not just for the disabled market, which I think is really important because when I approach, you know, um, all the brands, when they think of, you know, making a disabled-friendly uh, range, they probably get really, well, they, I know they get really scared because mm. they think, oh, my goodness, what what will we have to do to, to improve this? It's going to be really, you know, kind of only for a niche market. 
So what I've done with the Mia Tui bag, the Samantha bag, I've made just really small tweaks just to show how easy it can be to get a bag and then, you know, to broaden the people that it's accessible to. So you've got the mobility clips on the back so you can hook them onto any manual wheelchair, power wheelchair, and even like uh, frames, like walking aids mm. and things. I've removed the, because they have like a small zip. I've removed that, so the metal zip, and I've made it into a bigger, a bigger tag. Uh, out of fabric oh, cool. so for people who have like dexterity problems and things like that it's going to be a little bit more easier for them to open we've got a clip inside so you can put your keys on there just so that you're not rummaging around mm-hmm. but again that can be for anyone <laughs> and also um i'm very conscious that when i go out and about i've got things in my bag like my shiwi or you know i've had spinal cord damage mm-hmm. sometimes particularly on a cold day like this it's always great to put like a tenner pad <laughs> in your dishes yeah. or you know what I mean? And I realise that there's other people that have catheters and just stuff that you don't want on display. And, you know, if I've got a fracture or if I'm not feeling 100%, I often get even my PA or friend to kind of rummage around in my bag for stuff. And then one time someone pulled out my shiwi and I was like, oh, put it back, put it back, put it back. And it was all a bit embarrassing. And yeah. it was like, oh, God, you just took my shiwi. <laughs> uh, so I made like an invisible, like a secret pocket inside. Oh, cool. For things like that. So, again, it's the first product. I have already kind of had positive feedback. People have given me feedback because they said, well, I can't do this or, you know, I won't be able to do that. So I'm hoping in the future we can develop it even further mm. and add even more to it. I think I think the thing with disability, we all get bunched under this one term, disabled. And, you know, how I fell into campaigning was because I, I wanted to get more work as an actor. So I, you know, in the forefront of my mind, I wasn't like, I want to be this campaigner, but it's kind of how my life has transpired, which is great. And I love what I do, but I am no expert on every disability. And I think, you know, I need to kind of clarify that with people because when you produce a bag and I, and I put my name to it and I say, this is, a, is an inclusive bag, you know, some people have already said, yeah, but I won't be able to do that. And I won't be able to do that, which is, fair, you know, completely fair for them to address that. But what I'm saying is, you know, that's the issue that's the issue with disability and only through communication and talking can i then improve on what i've already got yeah you know um i think what's nice is this bag a lot of mums have come back to me and said it's really great because we can put it on the the the, uh, the wheelchair and i don't have to worry about having it over my shoulder mm-hmm. etc so it's you know it's already you know kind of helping a lot of people already but what i'm excited about is i've already started thinking and developing you know, another another bag. If if Mia Tui will have me, <laughs> I'm, I'm making a big assumption now. We'll have to see see uh, how we do with the bag. But yeah, it's a learning curve for me, and it and it's made definitely a foot in the door because I've always wanted to, you know, expand into fashion. Yeah. And um and definitely when I was approaching, like I wanted to do fashion on television, and people were saying, yeah, but you haven't got a fashion degree, you haven't got this. And that was really like a pain in the bum because I was like, okay, I get that, mm. but that doesn't mean that I don't have an eye for fashion. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I can't create something that's practical and beautiful. Mm. So I'm hoping that this is like a little bit of a platform for me. Mm. Absolutely. It's interesting that people think you should have a degree in stuff because, like, I'm very much like your sister. Like, I have no eye. <laughs> For fashion whatsoever in fact like if it wasn't frowned upon to leave your house naked I probably just wouldn't bother do you know yeah. what I mean like, but I've always had like I'm always kind of in awe of people who can visualize like you can because I just I can't see it I see like one thing I like and I'm like oh yeah lovely and then I'm like 
oh, I don't know what it goes with. I've got no yeah. idea. Um, yeah. But like, so like, even if I had a fashion degree, you don't want to be buying clothes off me. Like, I couldn't put together a collection. <laughs> if you've got a good eye for fashion, why can't you be doing it without exactly. a degree? Yeah. Exactly. But like I said, it's been it's only been out for two days. Quite a lot of people said have put they've put their order in, which is kind of surreal. And uh, Mia Tui sent me a picture of all the boxes. So they got the all the Samantha box like bags came in, uh-huh. and they just stacks and stacks of boxes. And I think that's when it kind of hit home. They sent that through to me yesterday, and I was like, oh my god, this real this shit is real, <laughs> you know? So I actually got a load of bags, and also. Selfishly, it just basically means I get three bags forever. <laughs> oh, that's so good, though. I know, I know. Oh. I will never be without a handbag now. Perfect. And it's interesting because, like, you were saying that, like, nobody knows every single person's disability and what they're yeah. going to need, even if you are yeah. disabled. But it's interesting how, like, such small changes you've made, like adding in the fabric and the secret pocket and things. Yeah. It's things that companies could do anyway. Well, this is it. This is the whole point that I want to make. And also, if you don't have a disability, they're going to be cool things anyway. Like having, you know, a bigger zip opener is not going to be detrimental to anyone else. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, having like a secret compartment where you can put your tampons in or whatever, I mean, that's not going to be, you know, a bad thing, is it? No, absolutely. And yeah, like you say, it's like universal fashion as, as well as disabled fashion, I guess. Yeah, and the thing is, your chair they come separately so it's not like if you buy that bag the samantha bag it's gonna come with that and you have to use it for a chair do you know what i mean yeah so like no one would actually know which is kind of cool yeah you know like you said it's universal which is what i was going for and i hope that will spread the message to um other you know kind of brands and retailers to show that they can be more inclusive in their fashion design. But, you know, I think the key thing is it's someone with a disability that's come on board. And, you know, I, again, because I've thought about how often I use my Shiwi, I was able to say, look, this is what I use a lot. Don't want it on display. Mm -hmm. That's why I want a secret pocket. And, you know, you only get, you only know things like that through experience. So I'm, you know, I'm always kind of trying to get anyone in design or just everything to to hire people with disabilities at the very very start and and you know have them all the way through the the process you know we've all been to a disabled toilet where you think who the fucking hell has designed this <laughs> yes you know what you mean it's like who tell, please tell me who designed this yeah. i mean i did an interview for itv news the other day about purple tuesday and i interviewed you know a retailer that has got taken you know done Tuesday and it was really great and you know what they done was fantastic and they were talking about their training going oh we've got training staff training I went, but is your training done by disabled people mm. and they basically they gave me a long answer but the the, the short answer was no <laughs> and it was like that that is key that is key mm-hmm. because we will, we will spot something that you will miss yeah I, I wouldn't go into any of my gay friends and be like you know what I'm going to educate you on what it's like to be a gay man <laughs> I mean, I know you're laughing, but that's how it feels to me when someone says... Yeah, I'm completely, I'm completely with you. And, like, actually, there's so many poor designs and disabled toilets anyway, but my favourite one is when the door opens the wrong way. Yeah. So you can't close the door with a wheelchair or something in there. Yeah. And you're like, this is, like, just failing at the most basic level. Yeah. And... I mean, even just things like, I'm, you know, so vain. <laughs> even just having, like, a mirror that's, like, halfway up the wall. Yes. I mean... I know I'm small, yes, but my wheelchair's quite high, so I'm about, I think I'm probably about 
it's ridiculous. And actually, I was actually reading, you wrote about um, how like inaccessible clothing stores and fashion stores and stuff are as well in the Metro. And does this kind of feed into your Don't Want Our Cash campaign as well? Yeah, so the Don't Want Our Cash campaign, so you can follow us on Twitter at Don't Want Our Cash. Um, it came about basically, I mean, because again, I love my fashion, I love shopping. I used to go to Westville Centre, so it's a shopping centre. Um, the actual centre itself is fully accessible, so they've got taxi ranks that take you basically to the front door, a lot of disabled toilets, they've even got like changing places in there, uh, you know, and I can wheel myself, it's all flat, there's no steps and there's ramps and things. So I rely on a lot of people of a lot for a lot of the time, so shopping for me, I get up early in the morning, I'll take myself off to Westville Centre, but then the individual shops, that's when they let me down. And I went to Zara. They had a re big reopening. I think it was closed for like two months. So they redid it. And then the first time I went in, the lift was out of action. So they were like, look, we just opened. Hurrah, look, it's all new and shiny. I thought, that's great. But upstairs is a kid's section. And I'm small, so I can fit in the kids' stuff. So I was like, right, well, I can't get upstairs. So I, um, I returned a few weeks later because I bought something and I wanted to return it. And then I went to the return desk, returns desk and... It was too high, and then the cash thing, what's it called, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it, it wouldn't come down, and I, it, was, it was really busy, and I was like, well, so what's the point of doing a refurbishment if I can't reach it? I said, have you got any, I said, what do I do? And I think what really niggled me and what my snapping point was, was um, the woman shrugged. Ugh. She didn't say anything, she just shrugged, and that really, really peed me off. So I took pictures, and I think I swore, I was like, well, what the F am I supposed to do? And uh, people started looking at me because there's this, like, little blonde girl in a wheelchair, like, saying the F word in the middle of a shop. Mm. And that was really humiliating because, you know, I didn't, like, you don't want all eyes on you. And I think people were sympathetic, but it was a bit awkward. Yeah. I was like, well, can't do my shopping. So I took pictures and then the Huffington Post kind of interviewed me and it kind of exploded. And that's why I thought, you know, I want to do the Don't Want Our Cash campaign. Because I get, you know, undated with people saying, look, this is inaccessible. And it's not just about shops. It's restaurants. It's bars. It's anything, really, you know. And so the, the whole premise behind it is that when I talk to people that aren't affected by disability, they're kind of a bit gobsmacked. And they're like, yeah, but you've got a law. Like, the law protects you. Isn't everywhere accessible? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no. No, it's bloody not. Yeah. You know, and we do have the apology checks and we do have reasonable adjustments, but if you actually break down reasonable adjustments, so many people can kind of be exempt from it um, because of financial reasons or, you know, I mean, there's a whole host of loopholes, as I call it. So I basically want people to go on, follow, uh, my, I don't want our cash, take pictures of places that are inaccessible, but even things like, you know, when you go down the street and people have left rubbish in the road and the council hasn't picked it up quick enough, or, you know, people leaving their bikes on the, on the side of the street. So I want to take pictures, I want to use a hashtag, so that I, it's basically, for me, as a body of evidence. Because this campaign I'm seeing, it's, it's, not a, it's not a couple of months thing, it's a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. I want people to get involved, post their pictures, particularly now coming up Christmas, you know, going shopping, uh, even, like, take pictures of websites that are not accessible and post it on there um, so that I can go to Parliament and be like, right, you've got this law, but clearly, look, look at all these pictures. Yeah. Clearly, it's not working. Yeah, absolutely. And something needs to change. Yeah, you're completely right. And for instance, I live in like a nice little area of Sheffield. Um, <laughs> it's it's quite far away from the city centre. So there's like two pubs who that yeah. are opposite each other. They're just down the road from me. 
and they're two pubs within walking distance, which is a big deal because, you know, I have chronic fatigue, so it's nice to go yeah. somewhere close. Now, I don't use a wheelchair, but if I did, I wouldn't be able to go to the two pubs because both of them only have access via stairs. Right. And so every time I go down there, I'm like... Well, I mean, it's, it's tiring. And, you know, again, when I did the Purple Tuesday interview for ITV News, I said it is, it's tiring. I get tired. I get tired of having to think, you know, can I have a cup of tea in the morning? Because, you know, particularly with the cold weather, you have a cup of tea, you need a wee straight away, don't you? Yeah. I'm like, can I actually do that before I go on my daily activities? Will there be an accessible toilet? You know, even when I go for auditions, like acting auditions, they, you know, they all say, oh, yeah, 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 it's completely accessible. But then there's like a step to get in. I mean, sorry, that that means it's not. An, an audition is like an interview, you know? So you've got so much on your mind. I don't want to be thinking, oh, my God, I need a wee. And then I have to go and do an interview and perform and do lines and be the best that you can be when you're sat there thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to wet myself. I suppose some people might not see that as a big deal, but until you're in that situation, you know, I'm sure we've all been in that car journey or, you know, at a festival and you're stuck and, you know, you kind of need a wee and you can't have a wee. Mm. You know, but that for me is a daily thought, yeah. and it's and it is tiring, and we shouldn't have to live like this because it impacts it impacts on my ability to be an integral part of society. It impacts on my anxiety, you know, and then that has a snowball effect onto onto my physical health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I mean, people say people might say, "Oh, that's not a big deal," but I think if you denied them access to a bathroom. For most of their day on a regular basis they'd soon yeah. see that that was a real problem well exactly it's a whole thing of what i try and explain to people that it's not okay to use a disabled toilet even if you can't see someone in a wheelchair pottering around mm-hmm. do you know what i mean that's not the point is it because again not all disabilities are visible and also you might not see someone needing it but the time that you might be in it all of a sudden i might rock up and <laughs> you know and need that facility and there's no other option for me so yeah we've got a long way to go i hope the campaign you know kind of picks up my momentum i think people are a little bit hesitant on the campaigns i think they're a bit like oh my god am i allowed to take pictures of shops and i'm like but you know yes you are allowed to take pictures of shops all i say is like if there's someone in the picture just maybe try and blow them out or something you are legally allowed in a public place to take pictures and also you know make sure that it is definitely inaccessible don't go off on a big like run and then actually they've got like a a door around on the side you know um but yeah i'm encouraging people to get involved so hopefully you can share that the link maybe absolutely with everyone but don't forget to add the hashtag don't want our cash don't want our cash i will remember um and it is it's a great campaign and and i like the idea of this body of evidence that you can present because like you say people say there are laws but it doesn't really mean anything, does it? Because nobody yeah. enforces them. The proof, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and actually, you, you mentioned going to auditions and stuff. And I was actually going to ask you, um, how, how do you find um, the like acting industry as a disabled woman? Like, how, how accessible is it? Um, look, ultimately, when you're an actor, it's difficult anyway. You know, like, because it, it's so much competition and there's about that many parts, you know? So I don't want to get off on a on a rant going, oh, it's because of my disability that I'm not getting parts. Because I know a lot of uh, other actors that literally are living on the breadline 
that again, that's why I kind of do other things. That's why I do my writing because I would never be able to survive on my acting career. However, having said that, we still got a long way to go. It's still, it's still really challenging. You know, like even from a financial point of view. So. I struggle with public transport on my own. So if I need to go for an audition, it can be anywhere in the country. I've got to pay for, like, a taxi to get there and back. And, like, sometimes I can be spending, like, £60 an audition, and that's without even getting the part. So that can be a, that can be the first challenge. I know that a lot of casting agents, they kind of, they let you self-take, so you, you don't have to physically go there. But then that is actually quite detrimental as well, because for me, one-on-one interaction is where I shine. And recording yourself at home is a challenge. And I don't think it gives you that fair kind of playing field, you know, someone being in that room, maybe having a bit of chit-chat with the casting director, or even getting direction from the casting director. So you don't get that when you self-take. You've got to assume. And I kind of misinterpreted scripts before. I've completely, like, taken it a different direction and then someone's gone, oh, no, actually, that character was actually quite sad or we we saw it being that way. So I think, you know, from a practical point of view, you can be at a big disadvantage. There's still not enough roles out there at all. I think we're still stereotyped. You know, I always say that I used to be a school teacher. Why can't I play a teacher? But I think that goes back to society's expectations of people with disabilities, you know, like, when I say that I used to be a teacher, people go, oh, with the little one, with the little baby. I'm like, no, actually, I taught 11 to 18-year-olds. Um, and they're like, oh. So again, we need to start, before we can get kind of authentic roles, we need to change how people see disability in the first place. Of course, I'm not going to get um, cast as a doctor if people think that disabled people could never be a doctor or that disabled people don't even go to university. Or disabled people don't date someone who's sexy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's a bit like a vicious circle. So yeah, I mean I know we are getting a little bit better. I do. I and I have said this before. I do feel like it's a bit of you know kind of diversity in general. You know we we see a lot more trans representation, LGBTQ. You know we see a lot of that, which is all great. But I do feel as though it's a bit of the zeitgeist, and you know particularly when you when you see disabled models and a lot of my friends have done some amazing campaigns and I'm very proud of them but it's like okay are you are you literally just being like look at us look at us look how inclusive we are you know let's stick a poster of someone with a disability on and then a part and but then we won't hire anyone with a disability we won't make you know our buildings more accessible you know what I mean so I my concern is it's like the again you know it's like what's trendy at the moment Mm, kind of tokenistic yeah it's very tokenistic um and i am guilty of being you know i did a a sex um sex talk for radio five live this week the sex takeover Mm. and it was great with one of the panelists so it had lots of different influencers and it was a great honor to be asked but you know i was only there because i was disabled um so tokenism can go either way like, it's great that I've got to be there to talk about my, my point of view as a disabled woman. But but equally, you know, I would like to have addressed other areas as well, not just. But again, I was able to, you know, highlight things that are important to, to someone like myself. Yeah. Great that I was there because it was beneficial for I, everyone. Absolutely, yes. I've been watching a couple of clips from it, actually, and I thought the, um, the piece... <laughs> I have, yes. <laughs> I thought the uh, piece you did when you were talking about how, like, getting 
um sexual health screenings was really great because yeah. like like you say if if you rely on your parents or your pa and mm. you need to go for a screening you need to be comfortable mm. talking about that yeah i mean it's really weird because i my mum's a nurse and she's german so i got brought in up in a household that was very liberal in the sense of we talked about um you know genitalia and the action of sex and like nudity was like not a taboo thing in our house but then equally i've never really had a conversation ever with my mum about sex so i grew up thinking that i could never have sex i even grew up thinking that i wouldn't even get my period oh wow but i only thought you know i started my period when i was 14 which is kind of quite late on all my friends got it before and i was like oh my god it's because i'm disabled does this mean i don't have a period and nothing like that got addressed so we've gone off on a bit of a tangent <laughs> haven't we but yeah yeah, we need to we need to talk about sexual health a lot more. I mean, I, I still I mean, I think my mum thinks I'm having sex now because I don't think she's stupid. But we've still never had. I'm 32. We still never had that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I think I think I know more about my mum's sex life than I think she does me, <laughs> which, is, which is weird on every level. <laughs> Sorry, I've, we have gone off on a tangent here, haven't we? You wrote a really great article about benefits in the UK for disabled people. Um, you did. <laughs> so what I would like to ask you is, like, what has your, been your experience with the new PIP and the kind of universal credit? And what is your experience of trying to claim benefits recently? So, first of all, I think the whole system's disgusting. I am still on DLA. I've avoided so far, I think because I've kind of moved. I think they don't know where I am, probably. No, they do know where I am, but I am probably going to be one of the last ones. I think it's atrocious. I think, so personally for me, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth because I know that, so my father died when I was 10 and I know that he fought so, so hard to ensure that I would get indefinite PLA because my condition is going to get worse. Well, it's not going to get any better. You know, it will get worse with age. You know, that was his legacy to me. I would like to think that he died knowing that at least I would be catered for. Like, no matter how how severe I become, you know, if I were to be hospitalized or anything like that. So I, I take it really personally that now they're turning around and not only insulting my way of life and who I am and my own experiences, but they're actually insulting what my family fought for, which I think is, you know, beyond disgusting. Again, I wrote in the article, I, I understand that there's a lot of people that take the piss and, you know, I think that's disgusting. But surely, if you do have a genuine claim and you have a genuine disability, there is enough evidence of that by just speaking to your specialist. Mm -hmm. Now, surely, going, you know, I've got pain specialists, I've got, you know, people that operate on me. Surely, just go to them and go, look, what's the deal? Is she being honest? What do you think? Mm -hmm. I shouldn't even have to be involved in the whole process yeah. if I don't want to. Never mind, you know, kind of be interrogated by somebody, may I add, that has no knowledge of disability mm -hmm. or has no qualification yeah um it is it's an abomination basically yeah. you know i have learned to put my ego aside and i have learned to say if they want a story they're gonna get a bloody story mm -hmm. yeah you know i will talk about my mental health i will talk about my toileting habits and i will i'll give them 
everything and I will kind of leave again leave my ego at the door and I, I realize that for some people that is very difficult because you work so hard to be the best that you can be and feel proud of who you are and what you've achieved and you know you don't want to dwell on maybe the things you can't do you don't want to dwell on the fact that yeah actually sometimes you wet yourself or sometimes you you can't you can't go to the toilet you know like wipe your own bum your arms in plaster or you can't feed yourself because of x y and z you know these are the things that you shouldn't have to focus on in life Mm -hmm. um i yeah i think the government should be ashamed of themselves i'd love to see some of them kind of I don't know, I'd love to strap one of them to a wheelchair, go off you go for a day. <laughs> yeah. If I'm honest. Come on, Theresa May. Um, <laughs> let's, let's strap you to a wheelchair or, or so. I mean, I know a lot of disabled people say that's not the way to, to do it, but I do sometimes I just think, let's just let's just leave you in a world that we, we have to struggle with every day. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it goes back to not having empathy or compassion. Yeah. I think that's what society fails. There's just no empathy, you know. Someone posted about, you know, these plastic straws. Someone posted about, you know, a mother taking, uh, going to court over it because her daughter needs the straws. And I was reading some of the comments, and, like, one of the comments was like, why don't they put a feeding tube in the daughter then instead? <sighs> and I swear to God, like, I really needed to bite my tongue, but I just thought, God, if people really think like that, then we've no, we've no chance in hell. Yeah, I, yeah, I completely uh, agree. It's, it's a shame. It's a shame because what you'll find is a lot of people, even people I've dated and stuff, people who've got family members who are disabled or they work with people with disabilities or something like that or they've had an experience, they're on a different mindset and like I normally end up like, you know, be, being best friends with them or because because they, they have that, they have the empathy. Yeah. You know, like empathy basically means putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I've, I've only just started applying for like ESA and things. But yeah, I went in for my work capability assessment uh, the other nice. week. And, uh, you know, they have my like four pages from my neurologist and they have all of this information I've given them. And you have to fill it in so carefully with like all this info. And then you go see a physiotherapist for 20 minutes and he's like... Can you touch your toes? It's like, well, yes, I'm hypermobile. Like, that's the, that's the issue. He goes, well, how far can you walk? This doesn't reach the issue of whether or not I can do a full-time job outside of the house every day. Um, and I haven't got the decision yet. But, you know, I still don't understand how 20 minutes with a physiotherapist can trump four letters from a neurologist. Yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. It, it doesn't at all. And obviously with me, when I've not got a fracture, I'm pretty independent. As soon as I fracture, I'm like a baby, you know? So I can't, you know what I mean? If they come and assess me when I'm when I'm not having, you know, when I'm not fractured, but as soon as they leave the door, I could make a funny movement and break. Yeah. But I think it'll be interesting because if they do take anything away from me, I <laughs> at least I work in television <laughs> and at least I work in media because uh, they'll, they'll have a bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, ri- it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's it's so strange that we talk about it as though it's normal to have to like make these contingency plans for if they take yeah. the, the support away. I mean, it's even thinking like things like, do I put a sling on when I'm here? Because even though I'm not fractured now, but that's not the point because I can fracture at any minute. Do they physically have to see me in a plaster? But even saying that, I don't even wear plasters half the, half the time. 
when I fractured. So again, it's just about what how people view disability and what it's sh- it's shocking and it just makes us feel like we are second class citizens. Ultimately, completely agree. So going on with that as well, what is the biggest misconceptions about disability that you think people hold that they need to stop with? People need to talk to us more. Uh, you know, there's that whole awkwardness. I think now that I'm in a position where people can come up to me because they're saying me off the telly, which makes things easier because mm. that's a weird way of breaking down that awkwardness. Um, you know, they come up and ask me for Maltesers or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, even now, it's... I, still feel like it's me that instigates conversations mm. wherever I am um which can be hard work you know what I mean I, again because of where I am now uh, things are changing people kind of do approach me more but I, I remember just being really tired of having to you know be the fun and bubbly one and go up to people yeah and start the station I think that needs to change but that goes into you know again having more positive representation on tv you know, having more inclusion in schools, mm-hmm. uh, you know, encouraging disabled people into universities, higher education, you know, so that they can be integrated into, you know, profession, so that when someone goes to the doctor, their doctor might be in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, again, it's just a vicious, it's a vicious cycle. I do think we're getting better a little bit. I think we've still got a long way to go. <laughs> I don't know whether sometimes I'm in a little bit of a bubble now, and I am mindful of that. So this is why I like to talk to other people with disabilities because, because again, it's changed for me. You know, how people view me has changed. And, yeah, I am not just a disabled person. I'm that person that writes for the Metro. I'm the person that, you know, goes on TV shows and things like that. So it gives me a different dynamic. So I'll, that's why, I, again, I interact with people and I listen to people and, t- and you know, take on board what they what they say that's why you know a lot of my metro articles and i get a lot of the content because i reach out to people on social media yeah because i've got a lot of people following me with all different kinds of disabilities on social media so i really kind of like pick their brain and i think that keeps me quite grounded yeah and it keeps me aware of not just how i live my life but how everybody else lives their life you can follow Sam on Twitter at, at @samrank and find the don't want our cash campaign at, at don't want our cash Now we come to our final section of the show, and this month we're shining some visibility on one or two of the disabled and chronically ill creators you might be interested in lending your support to before Christmas. In literary and writing visibility, you can download Resistance and Hope, Essays by Disabled People, which has been edited by the incredible Alice Wong. You can find a download link at disabilityvisibilityproject.com forward slash resist. You can also find more disability lit under the Criplit hashtag on Twitter if you're looking for something new to read over the holidays. Finally, I'll be uploading an article with links to all kinds of Christmas gifts and cards made by disabled and chronically ill creators in the coming days, so check back on Twitter to find out more. That's all for the combined November and December podcast, and I hope you all have a wonderful holiday period. For now, we've reached the end of the 8th Invisibility podcast, and I'll see you all in the new year for more. If there's a disability topic, activist, creator or news story you'd like to see featured here in 2019, you can contact me on Twitter at at visibilitytoday or email visibilitytoday at gmail.com. For now, thanks for listening and I'll see you in 2019 for another look at what's invisibility then.